So one of the things that uh, I'm excited to get into today that I don't talk a lot about on this podcast is how to book meetings without making cold calls and how manners sort of plays into how we communicate with prospects, whether we're prospecting or selling. So stuff I haven't really talked about before, but I'm excited for you to be here. My name is Jason Bay. Welcome to Blissful Prospecting. Uh, In this podcast, I have conversations with top reps, sales leaders, and other experts to teach you how to turn complete strangers into paying customers. So today we're talking to Sam McKenna, founder at Sam Sales Consulting. We're going to get into sales manners like I talked about, why she does not like cold calling, which would be an interesting topic, and uh, really how to show prospects uh, that you know them. You know, show me, you know me. It's what she calls it in active listening and how that sort of plays a big part in the sales process. Sam, it's, it's good to have you on. We talked about this before. I've seen a lot of your content and I feel like I know you, but this is like our second time talking. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Jason. <laughs> so nice to be here. Yeah. So I asked you, and I always like to ask people this, what your sales superpower is. Hmm. And you said EQ. And I'm really you know, kind of curious, when did you become kind of aware that you had like a pretty good EQ? Was that something that you had to learn? Like what was that kind of process and journey like for you? I think it's one of those weird things too, to say about yourself, right? It's like, I always say, whatever you are, you never need to say it because people will see it. Like I'm smart. I'm funny. I'm a good seller. Like just then do it, make me laugh. Um, but the EQ thing, it's an even, it's a weird thing to say, but like you kind of have to, because nobody knows, nobody can see that right out of the gate. But I'll say that it, it came to me um, from my reps my reps were like, you have an exceptionally high EQ. You know what I'm going to say. You're thinking about, you know, what's going on in my life. You think about how to make me comfortable in certain situations. And I think it just, it occurred to me like, yeah, like this is something that I, I do that's different. And I think it's really paid off in the sales process because I look at through that lens as well with our, our buyers, what they need and especially what they need, you know, when we're on meetings or even in person with them. Do you, if you can remember, like in your first sales role, did you already intuitively do some of that stuff or did you have to, was there a learning curve? Did you have to, you know, kind of, you know, work through some of it? What was that like? You know, I, so I'm the, the kid of two entrepreneurs. Both my parents are super social, outgoing business owners. Uh, my dad went to the, the most yeah. prestigious uh, hotel school you possibly can and, and did that and ran hotels for a living. Uh, and then my mom was an importer, exporter for any Seinfeld fans out there. Um, but she, you know, both of them had a way of like creating these exceptional relationships with people. But I think that AQ just came from them, from watching them. And I really just think about, you know, it's a weird thing to say, but I always think about myself second. You know, I think about the person that I'm with or the group that I'm with first. And I think, what do they need? What can I do to make them more comfortable? How can I be of help to them? I even think about this, like when I popped into leadership, we were at a, at a sales kickoff and there was a brand new junior, junior rep from the UK who had never met anyone there. And I basically grabbed her introduced her to some of our senior leaders and said, she's so exceptional, so full of potential, get to know Sarah. And I dropped her uh, off. That was maybe seven years ago. And Sarah is now a C-suite somewhere, um, which is pretty awesome. Wow. That's really cool. I, I always think of, I sort of think about selling, especially, you know, a discovery call 
um, or any sales call really for that matter, as you're kind of hosting, you know, like, yeah. like, imagine, like if I had you over in our home, right. And it was me and my wife, Sarah, and we were cooking dinner for you or something. When we're hosting, we're sort of leading that interaction, but a good yeah. host will make you feel like you're a part of the interaction, right? Do you, what do you like to drink? Do you have any food allergies? You know, that kind of stuff, but I'm still taking on the burden of making sure you don't have to do too much thinking. It's, you know, do you think a, of that? Do you think that's a fair analogy or? Yeah. Yeah. It's like you, you took a, you took the words right out of our playbook. So we, we talk about a couple of things, especially with the, like those, those calls that we're on, especially a discovery call. Like you are the host. This is your call to run. It's your reins to manage, right? It's not, if you are that rep who has, you know, a few awkward silences uh, or seconds of silence between when you build rapport, when you start the call, you're putting the burden then on your buyer to be like, so what do you want to talk about today? Right? So it's our call to host. I think hosting is such a great way to say that. But we even talk about how to build rapport and kind of kick the call off the right way. And what we'll say is if there's two of us on the call, right? So just the example you gave, it's you and Sarah, you're hosting me in your home. There's two of you there. What we'll do is we're talking, whoever is on the call with me, whether it's my you know chief of staff, Catherine, or somebody else on my team, we're engaged in conversation. And when that buyer comes, we don't stop talking. So we basically want to make it feel like you've just joined a super fun conversation. We could be talking about the news, dinner, you know, what we're doing this weekend. And so we'll keep the conversation going. Like we're talking 10, 15 words, right? And then we'll be like, Jason, oh my gosh, Catherine was just telling me about you know, making beef Wellington for the first time last night. What a complicated mess that was. And so what we're basically just doing is pulling that person in, right? And then that person's like, tell me about that. Oh my gosh, I've never had it. It's been on my list. I'm a cook. I suck at cooking, whatever it is. And then we've just got a fun little chit chat going. And then we're like, oh yeah, we're here to talk about business. So yeah, I think that that EQ piece, like how do we make this call different? We talk about how to be different in sales as our as our superpower, as everybody's superpower. But that's just one of the small EQ things of like, let's just bring them into our cool conversation. Yeah, let's let's focus on that. This show me you know me piece and the active listening piece, I think might be a good place to start. Yeah. The I don't know. I want to be pretty foundational here because a lot of the work, and I'm curious what you see too, a lot of the work that I do, it's usually nothing really crazy that I'm teaching. <laughs> it's very foundational, very basic kind of things and just yeah. being very disciplined about, you know, doing those things. But one of them, this active listening piece, whether that be in a sales call, and I feel it's extremely important in a cold call, especially because there's like the the margin for error is so small in a call like that. Like, let's define active listening first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, so, what is active listening? Well, I, I think it's it's an amazing thing to have to teach too, right? Because especially depending on the generation you're in, this might not be something you've ever even learned, or it might be the first time you're hearing the words active listening and thinking, what on earth is that? So active listening, right, is the art of asking a question, Jason, how was your day? Getting the response, it was super busy. I was back to back. And then asking another question on top of that based on the answer that you got. So what made it so busy? Why were you back to back? Is this an especially busy season for you? Is there something that is driving all of this activity on your schedule? It's just asking a question, listening to that answer, and then asking a question related to it. Instead of, how was your day? It was busy. What do you want for dinner? Right? And I find that most people, when we get on calls, we're so driven by asking our own selfish questions. Right? We've got our 17 questions that we need to identify BANT, to qualify you as a buyer, et cetera. We run through those, and then we're like, okay, great. 
instead of active listening. Even today, we were doing a, a great call teardown for a, a really big company we all know and love. And the buyer got on the call and was like, hey, guys, sorry again that I had to reschedule. Um, I had a uh, had an appendicitis. I had to get my appendix taken out. And I almost like winced a little bit. I was waiting for the rep to say, no problem. Let me tell you about our technology. But the rep engaged. She was like, oh, my gosh, how did that happen? Are you recovering? Like, asked yeah. all sorts of questions. And I was like, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that part of it comes from, uh, as a rep, maybe being really nervous about what to say next? And you're maybe th- you're thinking so much about the sales call and the process that you don't even think about the fact you're talking to another person on the other end of the line. Like, where do you think that that comes from? I think it definitely can come from that. Um, I think when we, again, when we look at kind of those younger, those those younger generations, and we look at like later, later, earlier stage, I guess I should say millennials, or we look at Gen Z, that's just the way they communicate. It's not by asking questions. It's by talking at each other. So I might say something to you, like Jason, like, Hey, I had a salad for lunch. And you're like, I had a burrito for lunch. And I'm like, here's what I'm doing this weekend. And then you tell me that instead of me saying, what did you have for lunch? Right? So it's just a totally different generational communication style. But I think for others, you know, there there can be a lot of things at play where it just it's never occurred to them to ask questions. Or um, my husband is uh, almost almost an introvert, and I'm like, don't you want to ask me about my day? And he's like, I'm sure you'll tell me. And I'm like, no, but ask me. <laughs> yeah. So it can be that we just expect the person to give the information instead of proactively asking for it. That's interesting. That sounds a lot like me and Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, which um, one are you? you heard which, of or, what side of the spectrum are you on? Are you the extrovert oh, or the I'm introvert? More, I'm more the introvert for sure. The uh, I ask reps this on calls too. Before I talk about cold calling, I, I show a little you know scale one to ten. Where are you at? You know, introvert versus extrovert. And most people think I'm extroverted. Yeah. I think because of the nature of you know we create we're, content, we're very public, we run training calls. But uh, dude, I want to be by myself or with my hanging out with my wife when I'm to re-energize. I don't want to go out and like, be around a bunch of people. You yeah, know, that's, totally. That doesn't really energize me. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm the opposite. Give me all the people and I will be bouncing off the walls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, have you read or heard of a book called You're Not Listening by Kate no. Murphy? No, no. It's okay. more. I think you would really like it. She talks about something called shift versus mm-hmm. support. And it's very in line with what you were talking about. The shift response is you come on and say, I had a really good lunch or before this, you said I, you know, I was working with this client or whatever. And then I, if I immediately shift the conversation into, oh, I also worked with a client like that. And I think about how, what you said applies to me and how it makes me feel versus support. How do I support what you're saying? And in a way, it sounds like the same exact, you know, kind of thing where, I, let me know what you, your take is on this. I, I think especially in in cold calls and those disco calls, it's okay as a percentage of talk time to be talking more than the prospect, but not to talk more about yourself than about the prospect. If that yeah. makes sense, what do you what do you think about that? Totally, and I think again, this just comes down to question asking, right? And so, understand being able to listen mm-hmm. to what they're saying and then ask, you know, facilitate that conversation. It's interesting because I think there's also a balance there. Like, we do want to offer some stories. We don't want to just pepper that person with questions. But we always yeah. talk about a, a kind of framework to use here, which is ask a question, get the answer, 
ask a question on top of that, demonstrate the act of listening, and then tell a story about that. So this is your chance to do storytelling, um, thread in a customer story, something like that. And if you think it's not a perfect framework for every single situation, but if you think about just using that, it gives the buyer a chance to just breathe after they've given you some information. And what I love about it is it demonstrates that you've been listening and it tells you, tells a customer story, right? So that person can say, that's exactly who I want to be. You can say, we have a customer that looked just like you six months ago, and here's what they look like now. And then to get that buyer to say, yeah, that's exactly what we want. And then that buyer will start talking again. But we have to talk at some point. The whole idea is make sure you're not talking 27 of the 30 minutes that you get with the customer. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned this because we can go overboard just like with anything else in business or sales or life or whatever. There's always a balance, you know, with that. And I'm glad you brought that up because I've made that mistake so much early on in my sales career where you're asking questions and the prospects like, uh, dude, I want to <laughs> hear you, about how you guys can help me. <laughs> give me something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, give me. Well, <laughs> and I, I think you even think about the nuances of the conversation too. So again, in that call teardown we did today, yeah. we're, we're listening to the rep tell a story, right? So the rep was telling the story about the appendicitis. He was talking about his version of it. And you can hear the buyer say, like, it goes on for a couple of seconds and you hear the buyer say, yeah. And I'm like, there's your EQ. The guy's like, okay, wrap up your story, right? He's throwing out a, yeah, like he wants you to wrap it up. And those are little signals to look out for too, that we often miss on the seller side. Like when should we keep talking? When is the person engaged or when are they saying, yeah, and cueing you, like you better wrap this up in another 10 seconds. There's the EQ part coming in into play again there, Jason. <laughs> yeah. Do you have, you know, speaking of that, do you have a, a tip or two on, you know, how to pay better attention? Because I think a lot of it is because I notice myself sometimes getting distracted, you know, if something's popping up or whatever, I try to close all that stuff down on my computer, but do you have any tips to, for reps to pay closer attention or to pay attention, especially in a virtual you know, setting? Cause I feel like a lot of the stuff you would pick up in person yeah. and it's just a little tougher, you know, to pick up virtually. Do you have any, any tips for that? I think what I would say is like you, you've got on a silver platter, the thing that we fight for every single day, you have the attention of a potential buyer who will spend money with you, help you hit your quota. Like nothing else should be more important, right? Give that person your full attention. The other thing I would say, like some crutches to use, um, we always talk about taking notes like you did when you were in English class. So, you know, our, our formula for a perfect discovery call is to not set an agenda, which I know upsets a lot of people. We talk, about how to actually just kick the call off with a conversation. Jason, I'd love to tell you about sand sales. I'd love to tell you about these seven things that we do, but I'd love to hear from you first. Tell me about your team, challenges, goals you have for the year. I'd love to just hear a little bit of the landscape on your side first, if that's okay. And what's interesting about that question is one, works like a charm. Two, you get so much information from your buyers, right? We're essentially cracking their heads open and saying, why'd you show up today in a super professional way? But then you're going to get a lot of information. So how do we make sure we pay attention? What do we do with that? I always love to go old school Roman numerals, like when you did an outline in English class, right? Number one, two, three, and four. And then we want to fill in the gaps, little A, little B, little C, whatever. Um, But write those highlights down. So then you can be like, that was a lot of information and so helpful. I have a million questions. Can I go back up to the top and then work your way down? Yeah. Let's keep the theme going with the discovery, actually, because I feel like we're kind of on a roll here. So. You know, it's interesting because, yeah, upfront contracts get talked about a lot, right? And 
I don't really do too crazy of an upfront contract in my in my calls, and I'm I'm always hesitant to tell people to loosen up on that because it's different. Dude, when I create content and someone comes inbound, there's already some familiarity. There's already some authority there. Like there's just already stuff that puts me at an advantage over a sales rep who doesn't create content, who the prospect doesn't know the person that they're meeting, who may have secured the meeting through a cold call or a cold email or something like that. Talk to me about, if you could, about just like getting the call started off on the right foot to where you are leading the conversation and you ha- do you have some like bumper guards on so that you can avoid being, you know, asked about questions that you might want to save for a demo or whatever. Like, how do you kind of think about that first like five or 10 minutes to get it off like on the right foot? And I think that that's the most important part. That's the make or break. That's the first impression. So we have to nail that. Yeah. I think, you know, I would say, think about how many times you've gotten on calls with reps. Or let's think about the what not to do where a rep says like, Jason, so great to meet you. So like, Hey, where are you based? And you're like, thanks for not doing yeah. any research on me in advance. Right. It's so yeah. infuriating or people, you know, get on calls with me and they're like, yeah, have you ever, um, have you ever heard of LinkedIn sales navigator? And I'm like, yeah, cool. That's the line of business that I supported when I worked there. And they're like, oh, and I'm like, cool, thanks. So I think the first thing is just thinking about that pre uh, research, that pre-call research, right? This seems so yeah. normal and obvious, but go. So I'll just tell you one quick crotch here. Every single time we set a meeting, inbound or outbound, we've got a super specific process. We respond to the buyer and say, thanks so much. Gratitude first, always. We never, ever, ever send a meeting invite without saying thank you first. Then we send a meeting invite. And then third, if this, then that, that we we follow in our playbook is connect with them on LinkedIn. Jason, thanks for responding to my email. Really looking forward to our call on Friday you know, wanted to say hello here too. non-salesy, super polished with context, even though we were just talking over email context always. And there you are, you're at the person's profile. So where did they work before? Where do they live? Who do they know that you know? Do they have an about section, the details, their interests? Like what can you connect on with that person at a human level, if hopefully anything? And if for anybody listening, who's like, well, <laughs> I sell to the banking industry or to semiconductor IT people, and they are not on LinkedIn, what do I do? Just go to their company website, find out stuff that's going on with their organization. They were mentioned in the press recently, just show up with something to connect on. And I'll tell you, especially those senior ranks, when you show up and you say, where do you live? How's the weather in DC? I'm going to say, it's great. How's the weather where you are? And then we have nothing to go. I mean, like, it's not helpful. So we want to show that executive presence, right? Your senior leaders are going to sniff out juniorness there. So show up, greet the person. Also, let's talk really quick. Zoom presence. For the love of God, you guys have your cameras on, right? This is your chance to show the buyer who you are, what your presence is like, and smile. You're like, imagine you're on a date. Would you be on a date and be like, what's up, Jason? Great to see you. Really excited to be on this day with you. Or would you be like, I'm really excited. Hi, I'm nervous. You know, whatever. Yep. Show yep. show that personality. Like that, those are some of the key things, right? And here's my EQ kicking in. I hear you saying, yeah, so I'm going to wrap up my story. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it's like make an entrance, you know? It's yeah. like get the call started off on a good foot and, and do the research. And I love all of that stuff. You said something I want to double click on though. You said show executive presence. So I talk about that a lot too, being a peer, Yeah, you know, can you tell us a little bit more about that and, and, and why that's so important and in things that might tip off to an executive that we're not a peer? 
I, I think that there are um, there are tons of transactional deals out there where we're not going to have to be in a long term you know relationship with this person or SMB deals you know but for the majority of your mid market enterprise deals your buyers want to feel like they're talking to somebody that's a consultant to them that's a partner that they can trust that they can ask other questions unrelated to whatever it is they're buying from you and that executive presence is key and I think we get nervous especially if you are an AE if you're a BDR even if you're a senior AE and you're talking to an SVP at General Electric, you're like, crap, I'm going to get so many questions that I don't know how to answer and you get really nervous. But what you want to think about, right, to make you more comfortable is kind of the same thing that I tell people who hate networking, right? If they have to go to a networking event, what do I do? Just ask questions. So one, show up with that show me, you know me show up to the call and say, Jason, thanks so much for the time. Excited to chat with you. Hey, I saw in your profile, by the way, you know, these three people, do you guys know them? Well, we used to do you know them. Well, we used to work together. What, what, what's your familiarity with them and exchange some stories there. See, you worked for one of our biggest clients, see that you did this, whatever. And then again, I want to be really cognizant here that EQ is super important of how to transition that rapport building. This is where executive presence also comes into play from rapport building to the purpose of the call. Right. And this is where you can just flow into an easy question to get what's out of their heads. Right. And say that I could tell you a million things about us, but I'd love to hear about you first because we need to know that information. We also get nervous and show that lack of executive presence when we just show up with our firing range of questions. Right. Imagine I show up to a call with you, Jason, and I'm like, Jason, tell me what you're doing. Uh, thanks for making time for this call. Hey, well, so what are you doing for your training? What are you doing for this? What's your technology stack? Well, who wrote your messaging? Da, da, da. I'm firing all these questions, but each, even just asking you this makes me uncomfortable because I have no idea if yeah. it's resonating, right? So instead, let me just temperature check and find out why'd you show up today? And just asking that makes you different and shows that executive presence. Yeah. Ah, it's so important. It's uh, it's interesting because with the executives, because for me, it's mostly like a VP of sales. Um, I don't talk to a lot of CROs, but like a VP of sales, getting that that first five minutes, you can gauge more people than you would think at that level, like shooting the shit with people. Yeah. If they like you, they might yeah. just BS with you for five or 10 minutes, which I think is always a good thing. Um, and then some yeah. of them won't want to, which yeah. is probably maybe two thirds of the folks that I sell to. I notice are a little bit more when I kind of cut to the chase, but <laughs> I like what you're saying. It's not so prescriptive where it's like, you need to do it this way. It's like, dude, just read the room. Like, does this person yeah. want to chit chat or do they not want to chit chat? You know? and, and that's exactly it. Like if you share a story and then they share another story, ask a question, right? And they keep it moving. Then, then they obviously want to hang out. Like they want to build a relationship with you. But if you ask them a question, they share a story, you share a story and they're like, yeah, that's cool. It's time to move on. Right. Pick up that cue. I would say too, like the, some of my best relationships have started where we spend 28 minutes of the discovery call, just shooting the shit. And then at the 28 minute mark, we're like, crap, we didn't talk about business. One of our, our most influential deals when I was at a previous company was with Morningstar Financial. We banged down this door, this person's door for two and a half years. He finally caved because he was best friends with a comedian that I used to have on my team years ago who just said, please give them a meeting. And he said, as long as they know that I have no interest in changing platforms. And the entire time was spent, he and his partner had just adopted a baby. He talked to my rep, Rachel, who had two 
two kiddos and they spent 30 minutes of the call just talking about parenting. And then he was like, shit, we didn't even talk about work. And she's like, we'll book another call. Read the room, right? Like if, if you can build that rapport yeah. in that relationship again, you'll be different because you're participating in something that isn't self-serving, but rather yeah. builds a relationship. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into the more difficult part of this interview now. Let's talk about <laughs> cold calling. Because to me, what everything <laughs> everything you shared just now was, I'm like, this is great advice for doing a really good, and when I say cold call, I mean exactly what you said. Show me, you know me. I, I do some research. I know about Stan before I'm reaching out. I look to see if I could find some company initiatives. Maybe I've talked to someone that is um, you know, a manager level or user of the product. Like I've done that stuff before I reach out. So what... What is it that you don't like about cold calling? <laughs> I think it is just, I know I'm contrarian here to your, your point of view. Um, I, I just find it to be the rudest thing around. Yeah. And, you know, I, I get so many cold calls um, as a leader. No one does research on me. People ask me, you know, we'd love to talk to you about your work at On24. And I'm like, cool. I stopped working there in 2017. It's 2022. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people don't ever do research. But the, the thing to me is I'm calling you out of the blue unannounced without your permission to benefit myself, right? To get my deal over the line, to hopefully get a deal going and then over the line. And I just think that there are so many more polite and smart ways to get deals versus just shoving yourself into somebody's day and then hoping they'll take the meeting. You know, we we talk about how 90% of executives don't uh, respond to cold emails. I don't even, I can't even imagine what that stat is. I think the, the last stat I saw in cold calls was 11 touches to get somebody over the line and a 37% show rate. So to me, I'm just like, it's exhausting for what, for what kind of effort, but for those organizations that are like, well, that's adorable. I still have to make cold calls. And it's part of my, you know, the KPIs that I'm measured upon. What I would say, like my advice is to call and not try to book the meeting right then and there, not, rather not to have the meeting right then and there. So the thing that I would do instead is call you, Jason, and would say, it's Sam McKenna. I've sent you a few emails. My name might sound familiar. I am sure that I'm calling you out of the blue, but I'd love to find some time to talk to you about how Sam Sales can help Blissful. I know, again, now is probably not a good time, but might you have some time over the next week or two? I'd love to, again, chat. You know, and I'd refine that script a little bit, but I would, I would call it out. One, I've tried emailing you. Two, my name might look familiar, hopefully, right? So a little name recognition there. And then just say, I know now's probably not a good time, but when is? But I'll tell you just one more thing here. Even as I say that, I'm uncomfortable because in my mind as the buyer, I'm like, well, if I'd wanted to respond to you, I would have. So why did you call me instead of just hoping at some point I would respond to your email? Yeah. I don't know. And just what to you understand think? your... <laughs> yeah. Oh, I have a lot of takes on this, but this is why I wanted to have you on it so we could talk about it. Um, just so I understand your take on this, are you personally don't like to do this? Do you advocate that people should not do it at all? I advocate that people should not cold call at all. I think the warm yeah. call is fine, right? So if I'm using something like outreach and I can see that you open every single email that I send uh, okay. you. Right. Or I, I send you, I send in, uh, I sent a sequence and it got open 16 times by 
four different states, you know, that I can hopefully tell that you guys aren't making fun of my email, but instead there's actual interest. Yeah. Um, and then I'll call and I'll, I will be cheeky with that as well. And I'll just say, Jason, it's Sam McKenna. I know you just opened up my email as I'm sure you can imagine we have modern technology that tells us that, um, I'm hopeful that you keep opening them because there's interest. Can I convince you to take a meeting with me and, and give me some time? But the cold call, you've never heard of me. I've never tried anything else. I'm literally pounding the phones and trying to get you to book a meeting with me. Mm. I've never done it. And I, I just, I can't advocate for it for, for right or wrong to the sales gods. Yeah. We actually have the same opinion then on oh, this. Good. I think okay. it's a, it's a, uh, a, a semantics, you know, kind of thing. Cause to me, even if you emailed someone and they opened it up a thousand times and you call them to me, it's still a cold call because they didn't ask you to call them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So it's really semantics there. I think around, around that. So, because the thing I always think about is with, with email, that's so tough is, I mean, it's a good question to throw your way is deliver, uh, deliverability. Yeah, you know, especially into enterprise and you know Fortune 1000, where I feel like if we're not using the phone, we might be missing out on a channel because statistically, I mean, I think the industry wide open rates probably around thirty to thirty five percent, if that, on cold emails. So I'm like, hey, one, two out of every three people are not even seeing what you send them, if that open rate stat is even accurate, you know, to begin with. And yeah. then second, there, there's so much. I think to just leaving a really good 20, 30 second voicemail that prompts the person to check the email that you sent them, you know, but what's, what's your take? So where does phone kind of fit into your outbound strategy that you teach? I think using those triggers, right? The triggers are so key. So yeah. like the, you opened up my email, it got forwarded. It's the sixth email of mine that you're opening, right? Like I'll call you then. Like I, again, it, I think there are, there are better ways to go about it. So I haven't done that, but if I was a rep today, I, I would probably employ those tactics. I will say though, that I think, you know, getting into the fortune 1000, right? How do we get through that deliverability? That is super tough, right? Hopefully you work for a company that has good um, server integrity. So that you're not, you know, sending, I think I even saw Kyle Coleman um, send 500 emails the other day and got there, yeah. got the company blacklisted for a minute. But here's what you want to think about. One, you have to stand out. Um, if you've ever read Todd Capone's book on the transparency sale, he has a great screenshot of what his inbox was like as a CRO. And it's literally 20 emails that all look the same, right? Quick chat, checking in, leading SaaS platform, whatever. So this is what we talk about with show me, you know, me standing out, writing a subject line that makes absolutely no sense, except to the person that's reading it. So if somebody was going to email me, right. And they would say, uh, on 24 plus Geneva, Switzerland, plus, I don't know, Nickelodeon plus whatever your company name is that would stick out to me. And not only would it stick out to me, but I'd be like, thank God it's somebody who made an effort. The amount of sales emails that we get on a weekly basis at Sam Sales, despite us being the queens of social, social, uh, not social selling, of show me, you know me, um, nobody does that for us. Nobody looks us up. Nobody looks at anything, even though we're singing it, you know, from the rooftops. So I think that's one thing. The other thing is, I think this is where social selling comes into play. I realize not every industry and not every buyer is on LinkedIn, but a great majority of them are. We've got over 830 million members on LinkedIn. And the beautiful part is 1% of them, you and I included, 
post actively on a weekly basis at a minimum. But what's amazing is over half of those members log into LinkedIn at least once a week for a minimum of five minutes. And there's a great stat, I think it's like 68% of them also proactively connect with other people, not just receive the connection request, right? And just say, okay, they'll go and find someone's profile and then hit that connect button. So they're on there. It's our jobs to connect with them, to send them messages, to be you know, somebody who gives value. And it's amazing to me that we still haven't all caught on to this. I, it's like, I secretly hope we won't so that it makes our jobs easier. You and me, Jason. <laughs> yeah, I totally echo the same thing you said too. I get tons of cold emails and I can, I have like a folder with like 500 in them oh. and maybe <laughs> two or three of them are personalized. The rest uh, are so templated. They don't even, some of them don't even have my name in them. Oh no, They're first so name. You know, hello first name. <laughs> um, so let's let's talk about uh, email. So we have a lot of great stuff on email. Yeah. So subject lines. I love what you said there, where you know something along the lines of this would only make sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I with subject lines. How do you think about the purpose of the subject line? And are there any kind of you know techniques or you know formulas or strategies or anything like that that you have for subject lines to get folks to open emails? I would say if, especially if you've done your show me, you know me, um, don't bury the lead. So what a lot of people do with subject lines is they forget the true point of the email and it's, they bury the lead. I'm going to give you some quick fire examples. So number one, we've, if we've done show me, you know me, I don't want to say like, Jason, talk to Sam who can train you on social selling in my subject line. And then say, by the way, six of your best friends have recommended me and I'd love to talk to you. I'm going to put that directly in my subject line. Your six best friends have recommended me. Don't bury the lead. Another thing is, let's say I reach out to you and you're like, hey, I'm not the person to talk to you about home repairs. Sarah is. I'm going to be like, great. Can I drop your name? And you'll be like, yeah. So then I'll email Sarah and say, Jason Bay recommended I talk to you in the subject line after I've gotten your permission. A lot of people bury the lead. If we have something new, a call to action, let's say it's the 17th email I've sent you. And now I'd like to invite you to an executive dinner, a game we're hosting. You know, I'm going to be in your town. Don't bury the lead. Throw that right in the subject line before the RE. Make it look funky in Atlanta this week, right? And then the rest of it. And then the final thing is even just thinking about um, internal references or like trying to reconnect with people who said, you know, call me when your product roadmap is complete or call me when you have this feature. We just worked on this with a client who was like, I haven't gotten a response. This person engaged with us multiple times before. We finally have the features they wanted and they're not responding. And I'm like, well, you don't have any of that listed in the subject line. It's literally like conversation with XYZ technology platform. And I'm like, it doesn't want to do that. Just put, we finally have the features you wanted for XYZ platform. Would love to chat, throw it right there in the subject line, right? All that stuff really matters because it's amazing. The, the open rate you talked about, that's like, that's what we shoot for. That's what we kill for. You know, our, when we write sequences for clients, we have an average open rate of 43%, but the average open rate is closer to like 6% these days for cold emails. And the average response rate is under 1%. So you've got to think most of the time, why it's because we've got really crappy subject lines and really crappy first sentences, leading sales platform, whatever. Hi, Jason. Hope this finds you well. Oh my God. Kill me. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. So how do you think about the structure of the email and, and feel free obviously to comment uh, how the email might differ through the, through the sequence as well. But how do you think about structuring emails? 
Let me, let me give you guys some great tips here. So when you think about that first email, there's a lot of people who talk about the idea of shorter emails, right? Shorter really pays off. We just want to cut to the chase. You know, executives don't have a lot of time to read. What's really interesting is the, the viewpoint from executives, and I share this, this exact same viewpoint, is when the email is shorter, it's really self-serving. Hey, Jason, seems like you're hiring. We can help you with that. Interested in a meeting? No. You know why? Because there's no value in that email. And that's what we see time and time again. That's what everybody's preaching. So here's what I want to think about. Number one, you've got to think about that email being right. (laughs) Oh my God. Did you just send this out? I'm totally. No, it's just really funny. No, it's just really funny. It's uh. I do advocate for shorter emails, but not where you're just like, hey, I saw you hiring. I, I, we can help with that. Do you want to meet? It's like, holy you shit, mean? dude. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I saw you're single. You want to go on a date? You know, it's like, geez, dude. <laughs> you know? I said I said to Will Aitken today, um, I just, I had salmon from Nova Scotia where he lives. Do you want to buy Sam sales? And he was like, my God, send a contract over right now. It's very excited. But here's what you want to think about. So specific buyer persona, what are the challenges they are going through? So if we are talking to an SVP of sales, don't talk about a challenge with a feature set that you have in your technology. Think about revenue. Think about the things they're focused on. So challenge that's specific to that buyer persona is number one. Number two, when we talk about value proposition, the biggest mistake we see organizations make is they focus on the 30,000 foot level where we say, hashtag, what's your 300? What is your 300 foot view? Let me give you an example. Being that I sold LinkedIn Sales Navigator, this is something that I revamped when I was there, but it was the messaging of instead of sending out to leaders, hey, LinkedIn Sales Navigator can help your your sales rep surface the right insights at the right time about your buyers and meaningfully connect. (sighs) What does that even mean, right? I can say, well, I have Google alerts for that. Thanks so much. So instead we said, hey, I bet one of the challenges you have is tracking where all of your existing clients move and change jobs. And that's one of the processes, one of the hundred powerful things that Navigator can do for you without ever missing a beat. Would you be interested in a conversation? So I'm giving you something super, super specific that the technology can do amongst a hundred beautiful things that it can do to bait your attention. I want a VP of sales or head of demand gen to say, we don't properly track our existing clients. We don't know where they change jobs. We're usually like six months too late. I'd love to develop a process around that, right? Awesome, awesome way to prove value. Then the other thing you've got to think about is when I say this statement to my buyer, what is the possible next objection that's coming? We always talk about the hidden or forthcoming objection. So if I say to someone, hey, I'd love to train you on LinkedIn Sales Navigator and your teams on social selling. I've got to say in my head, what are they going to say? What's the response? And the response is going to be, we don't need you for that. We have a CSM at LinkedIn. Thanks so much. So I have to, in that email, say, I realize you probably have a CSM at LinkedIn who can do that. Here's how we're different. In fact, here's why we're, we're so different that LinkedIn hires us to train their teams on social selling and LinkedIn sales navigator, mic drop. But you've got to think those components through because your buyer's not going to respond. I have a CSM, I don't need you. They're just gonna say, they're gonna think it in their head and they're gonna move on. If you master those things, right, you will not only get a great open rate because of your subject line and hopefully a better first sentence, but you're going to get buyers who are like, huh, 
maybe this works in theory. I need to hear more to see if it's actually a fit for us. And then they will convert. And guess what? If they don't, you've got a sequence built out. Keep dropping those things. Here's another challenge I suspect you have. Here's a way we can solve that in a specific way, right? And at some point, you're going to get that person to convert. Hopefully in a few of those touches, you're going to connect with them on LinkedIn. You're going to be posting content about what you do. They're going to get a drip campaign, not only from your emails, but probably from marketing and from LinkedIn. And you're going to hit them everywhere, hopefully in a non-annoying way, and eventually convert them to an inbound lead. Got it. Man, I'm I love that. About this. Anticipating the objection. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, How do you huge. think about personalization, relevance, all that kind of stuff and its role yeah. in the email? You know, so I think there's a lot of chat about this too, that the show me, you know me, right, has to be relevant to the specific challenge you're solving. And no, it doesn't. So people are people. We're humans. We want to connect. We want to know things. We want to be careful about this. So if I say like, hey, I see that you went to Duke and I root for Kentucky and that stinks because they're, I mean, actually I would probably use that frankly. And then just like ruffle somebody's Duke cheering feathers. But anyway, um, let's say I say you went to Duke and my cousin went to Duke. Uh, Raj of Raj Nation always says that um, as a funny way, like you're you are a fan of Duke by proxy. No, get out of here. So we want to make sure that it's authentic, yeah. right? Think about where, again, common connections, where they've worked before, cities they lived in, where they went to school. Is there something authentic you can tie to that? And just connect with them as a human. Now, I will say, if I say, if I, I get emails all the time where people are like, go Knowles in the subject line. And I'm like, cool. And then they're like, uh, I see you went to Florida State. Do you want to buy my product? And I'm like, no. <laughs> What about FSU? Give me, give me some information there. So make sure that you tie some value to that with that subject line. The other thing, again, for those of you who are like, that's adorable. My buyers are not on LinkedIn. What do I do? Again, go to their website. Talk about personalization at scale, right? In the right way. So I don't believe in personalization at scale. I believe in show me, you know me at scale. And let's find things or, you know, what their company is doing, what they're active in. Again, press releases, things that are happening. Their CFO said something recently on a podcast. There's so much out there that you can use. You just have to give a shit for five minutes to look it up and then use it. Yeah. How do you work with reps to help them avoid the, you know, personalization rabbit hole? Because that's the thing that I see people do where it's comical sometimes to watch. Like they'll, the first thing they'll do, and the analogy I always use is, you know, going grocery shopping with no grocery list and just like literally going through every single aisle, step by step, (laughs) you know, row by row by row, shelf by shelf by shelf. Like you would never, that would take like four hours to grocery shop. Like, you know what you're looking for (laughs) usually, right? When you go to a grocery store. Um, How do you think about you know, having something in mind that you're looking for so that you don't waste an hour writing one email and that you can find it in three, four, five minutes. I'll say, you know, for those of you who are new to this, just think about, you know, cut yourself some slack. It's going to take time to master this. It's like, I want to run a mile in seven minutes. That's cute. It's going to take you 11 right now. And eventually you'll get to seven. So cut yourself some slack, right? If it takes 15 minutes, if it takes 20 minutes for you to find something, craft the right thing. Okay, great. Set, set a goal for yourself to send 20 of those super quality emails. And then go down from there the next week, 25 and so on and so forth. What I would say is just scan what sticks out to me, what connects with me. Do we have shared connections? That's the first thing I look for. Where do they live? 
have they lived in places that I've lived or I'm, I'd kill to go to that I can talk about or at least aspire um, to travel to? And then also I just look for where they've worked previously. Have they worked for any of our clients? That's an easy, easy thing. So, hey, I see you worked for IBM for 10 years. They're one of our biggest clients. Not sure if you ever came across this during your tenure there. I'd love to talk to you about how we can be of help to you here. Also, for any sales navigator users out there, that's an easy search for you to run. One of our top hacks, past company, list everybody that used to, that are your top clients, 30, 40, 50 companies, current company, your book of business, title, your buyer persona, hit search, poof, you'll find people that do have brand recognition with you and just a warm lead engine. Uh, Conceive somebody booking eight to 10 meetings a week off of that and just obliterating their BDR quota. That's a, literally the very first thing that I teach in a company wow. training. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I, set, I teach something called outbound magic tricks and it's, it's like wow. a five or six things that are like, just do this thing. You don't even really think about it much. And that's, that's one of them. And then pe- people that follow your company on LinkedIn is another yeah. really super easy one too. Yeah. It um, blows people's minds too. I love it. It's a, it's a fish in a barrel for us to, to get excited, happy faces. So benchmarks with email, when you look at a sequence, how many emails might a typical sequence include? And what are you looking at in terms of open rate, positive reply rate? What's for you something like, ah, this is working okay? Yeah. We're one, we're just looking for an uptick in what you saw before. So that's the first measure of success. But if we can start to climb in those 20s, those 30s, those 40s, you know, we have sequences that get 80% open rates, 30% uh, response rates, 10% meeting booking rates. Those are huge. But we just want to see an increase. The, the thing that we want to think about too is that first sequence, right? When we write a sequence, or we we typically write three or five for a client to get started. When we do that, we know that these aren't going to be perfect and we know that they're not going to kill it. But what we want to do is we want to start to track that data. So if we see, you know, the first sequence that at, at email 16, let's say at touch point 16, something hits, there's something that triggers somebody to reach out. We might look at that and say, what is that? Is that a problem that we're solving that's in the market right now? Is it something spicy? If in sequence two, we find that it's email three, what we're basically doing is we're working those sequences down a funnel, right? Just like we would like a buyer through a funnel. And we're saying, okay, we know how to make a perfect sequence. We need to start with email 16 or do our generic number two, then sequence, you know, or email number three from sequence two is going to be our email number three. And then you keep refining and refining until you have some killer, killer content, right? But one, it just, we've got to start testing. We've got to get that out there. We've got to see what resonates with your buyers. But I would also say test with your times. So look at that as a, as a benchmark too. Are you getting higher executive engagement on the weekends? And I'll tell you, some of the people that I talk to about this, I'm like, yeah, you know, send your, send your email Friday morning and then send the second email Sunday morning. And people are like, what? blasphemy. What? A Sunday email? And I'm like, trust me. So we find that Saturday mornings and Sunday evenings get better executive eyeballs, not only on LinkedIn, but then also on our emails. We're catching up on Saturday morning of everything we missed. And on Sunday, we're prepping for the week ahead, very, very sadly. But that is the nature of an executive. And why not email then, right? We know that they're not they're not going to have as much competition in their inbox at that point. And for everyone who's like, that's just rude. I'm like, give it a shot and watch and wait and see what happens. Yeah. Love it. So much here that we could, we could talk for another hour about sequences, I but uh, <laughs> I want to make sure we have some time for the rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, hit me with it. All right. If you had to choose between phone, email, and social, think about for, you know, for outbound prospecting, what do you pick and why? And I think your answer is pretty obvious. 
social, 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 uh, the impressions you yeah. get, the relationships you can build, right? One I've posted today, like 30,000 views and it's been four hours. Like there's nothing that beats that. Mm-hmm. What is something you believe about sales that most would disagree with? Cold calling's done. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I will say that the great majority would disagree with quality over quantity. Um, and I just, I just say that because of, you know, of the feedback that I often get where I'm like, I'm, I'm focused on building relationships. I'm focused on the quality of the calls, the quality of the emails. I'm not focused on rushing somebody to the end and the finish line of a deal. Yes. I want all those deals to come over, but what I want to build is quality. You know, we, we've built our business. We have 16 all female staff members, and we haven't even been in business for three years. We have multi-millions in revenue every year. There's a reason for that because I built it the right way, but not only that, I built my sales career the right way, you know, and, and those success stories are, are the same, right? People have relied on the relationships they built and focused on quality over quantity. Love it. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to yourself as a rookie sales professional? Oh my gosh. Um, I would say master the foundations before anything else. It is exactly what you and I both teach, right? And when we say that, we, we, you and I say the exact same thing to our prospective clients. What we're teaching you is not rocket science. It is the basic fundamentals of selling, but you want to master those. So for the, the juniors listening, right? The BDR who has been a successful BDR for seven months and is like, I want to be an enterprise sales rep. I'm like, oh my God. Um, I would say take a beat. Take a pause, master the foundations, hang out in your job for six more months, really, really learn how to do this job in your sleep, get get certified by your leaders, ask for feedback all the time, left and right, and master those things. Because even, even as a successful CEO, you are still prospecting, you are still getting on discovery calls. These are things that will pay off for the rest of your life. This has been great, Sam. Where can people go to connect with you, learn more about you, all that good stuff? You'll be surprised to hear that I am on LinkedIn. So please come say hello. Uh, And then if you puff over to samsalesconsulting.com, we've got so much uh, and resources. uh, And we do a ton of webinars too. So come hang out with us anytime. 